All right, let's go ahead and get started. Tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Lamentations. Um, I want to read from Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. That is the summation of the book of Lamentations. It is a book that was written historically uh, throughout Christendom and in Jewish tradition. Lamentations is written by uh, Jeremiah. There's nothing in the book that says that it was written by Jeremiah, but we've accepted that he was the author. Uh, it was written immediately following uh, the destruction of the temple. Um, the Hebrew word that is used in the Hebrew Bible for lamentations um, is poetic in and of itself. It is simply why. I don't think many of us have gone through great trials when we don't call out to God, why? The author, Jeremiah, the book that we studied last week, had expressed God's wrath is about to fall on you because of your wickedness. And yet, as he sees the beautiful city of the Lord in destruction, as he sees the temple of God laid low, as he sees where at its foundations the brazen washbowl before the temple that was so beautiful is cut down and the, the, the bronze is carried off and melted down, as he actually sees the wrath of God, he cries out, why? Lamentations, in my opinion, is just as beautiful as the book of Psalms, as a book to run to as you go through hard times. In English, we don't have anything like a lamentation. The closest thing that we have to a lamentation is maybe a blues song or country song about my dog dying. Uh, but lamentations is recognizing that God's wrath is falling, calling out to God for mercy, and feeling the weight of that pain. And it is rich and deep. And I will say, in my lifetime, I can recall two sermons that I've ever heard preached from the book of Lamentations. We ignore it at our peril. And when you are going through hard times, when you have a situation where you're sick and you're laid up in the bed, uh, or you have someone near you die, and you just can't put to words what God has done in your life, I would recommend Run to the book of Lamentations. Read it out loud. It is a beautiful book. So let's walk through it. Um, the author and date, the author, again, the book doesn't say anywhere. Christian tradition and Hebrew tradition has taught that it's, the author is Jeremiah. Uh, Lamentations provides eyewitness testimony of Babylon's destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. In vivid, poetic detail. Most theologians think it was written immediately following the destruction of the temple. In Hebrew, in fact, if you ever choose to go to 
take a class in Hebrew, usually uh, your fourth Hebrew class, uh, you have to translate the book of Lamentations because you've, you've learned the grammar, you've learned the structure. There is no book of the Bible that is more tightly structured grammatically and poetically than the book of Lamentations. It's interesting that Jeremiah, in his sadness, wrote such a tightly structured book. You know, we think when we're sad that we don't think. We, I was talking to some of the firemen that was dealing with the, the uh, fire that we had yesterday at the apartments, and I was telling them about uh, something that had happened to me working with law enforcement. Years ago, uh, there was a, a, a building that was on fire, and I'm clearing the building. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's asleep. I'm literally having to beat on doors, wake people up. And this lady wakes up and starts just scur- she's just screaming. And I'm like, ma'am, I need you to leave the building. She's, ah. And finally, she sails down enough to where she can say out loud, my baby, my baby, my baby. And so I, I, I seriously considered, because I've seen it on TV enough, that if you slap somebody, you get their attention. But, you know, you, you really aren't supposed to do that. And so I'm, I'm sitting here going, where's your baby? Where? And finally, when she calms down enough, and a good probably 30, 45 seconds before she calmed down enough to point at a bassinet three feet away from where we're standing that the baby is in. And I'm like, pick it up and let's get out. But the rush of emotion at that moment, all she could think of as a mother was, is, ah, because the room is filled with smoke, you can hear cracking fire, there's, there's heat, and so she's flipping out, and she doesn't put logic enough together to pick the baby up to get out. Well, when we're, we're upset, that's very commonly the case. I have been at, at, at times before around people when someone died, and they just wail I've seen the, the biblical uh, thing where people will reach in their hair and just pull out fistfuls of hair in their anguish. You would think that a book that is written to express grief would be all over the board emotionally, especially if it's written as near to the destruction of Jerusalem as most theologians think. And yet there is no book of the Bible that is tighter more poetic and written with more structure than the book of Lamentations, which shows us that even in those trials, even long before Christ, Jeremiah knew he does not mourn as one who has no hope. That he recognizes throughout this book, as the text that we read stated, though everything that he knew is collapsing, though everything that he thought would last forever is now torn down. He knew that God still was faithful. So the theme is affirmation of belief in God's mercy and faithfulness is the key to restored relationship with God. Forgiveness is possible even for people who have deserved God's judgment. Hope, not despair, is the central theme in Lamentations. I remember uh, early in my Christian walk reading one of the Psalms where David is crying out for God's mercy and he says things in this particular Psalm like, God, you know that I'm blameless. You know that I'm righteous. As, this, as a young believer, young teenager who was a believer, that upset me uh, and set me kind of on an emotional, mental 
whirlwind because I thought, well, most of the time when I'm in trouble, it's not, I'm not blameless. I'm the cause of my trouble. You know, if, if, if you wonder who's really messing your life up, you need to go buy a mirror. And so Lamentation shows us that even if we're the one that invited the whirlwind, that God, even when we're unfaithful, is still faithful and he is quick to forgive. I met on Monday with a uh, man who was, is Muslim at lunch, and he was asking me <coughs> about the nature of the gospel, and he, where he's stuck is, so he, you're saying, he said, that no matter what you do, no matter what you've done in your life, you can just ask God to forgive you, and he will. And I said, yes, absolutely, because that doesn't seem fair, because what if I lived a good life, and then I ask God to forgive me, then he's forgiven me for a lot less than someone who's maybe a murderer or an adulterer, or um, you know, if Hitler had cried out to get saved. You're saying that God would save him. And I said, I told him, you have a very weak view of your own sin. See, that's the problem. You think that if there's a scale... That here's God, and then here's Hitler and, and Mussolini, and insert bad, the worst person you can think of here, and that you're o- over here, that you're close to God. You've made mistakes and stuff. You're over here close to God. And so these people have sinned a lot more than you. But D- David says, that to, talking to God, your ways are not our ways, neither are your thoughts our thoughts. Your ways are as far away from me as the stars are above the heavens. And so in reality, what it is, is that God and His righteousness is here. And then over here on the negative, you've got the most wicked people in the earth. And then real near them, is maybe somebody who hadn't committed murder. That we're way more over here than we believe. And the problem is, is that we have a weak view of our sin. So, Jesus was one time asked, what's the greatest commandment? We all know his response. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So logic would dictate that if that's the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin we can commit is to not love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we have this warped view because the Bible does lay out consequences for sin, that we think that, you know, if you were just being honest and you were to list out sins and and list of worst to best, probably murder would go at the top. Most of us would probably say murder. And then maybe adultery and stealing, and we would, and then maybe (coughs) lies, and then little white lies, and... um, what Jesus is saying is is that every beat of my heart and longing for something other than God to satisfy me is the most wicked, evil thing that I can do. And that if I can choke sin off at that point, then there won't be murders. That I will treat my neighbor like myself. And so the reason why we struggle sometimes with God's quickness to forgive people 
is because we have a weak view of our own sin. Personally, I look at Thomas Shepard's quote, I am the most wicked person I know because I know myself better than I know anyone else. And I know the depths of my own heart. We know ourselves. We know what we think. We know that there are times when getting on the Megan Bridge, when someone cuts you off and then sits there in a turn lane, that if you had the power at that moment, you would kill them. I know that when people have hurt me or threatened to hurt my family, the thoughts that have gone through my mind. I know the lust that falls into my heart. I know how wicked my heart is. I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. For all I know, you're walking around, you've overcome those sins. But I know my own heart, and I know where my struggles are, and I'm far and away the most evil, wicked person that I know. So Lamentations is a, should be a source of joy for us because we can recognize that even wicked, evil men, when we, they cry out to God, God will forgive. I, I think I've shared from the pulpit, I have uh, an interview that I, I've kept, the interview. It was when Jeffrey Dahmer, of the man who became famous because he ate his victims, um, after he was killed in prison, uh, this person was interviewing people, and De- Jeffrey Dahmer, and, and again, I'm not speaking to the truth or the veracity of it, but Jeffrey Dahmer made a profession of faith before he died. Um, and I've seen an interview with him and his father where he expresses a belief in the gospel. And so this interviewer asked a local pastor in that, that community, and I'm not even sure what state that was in. I want to say Illinois, but I could be mistaken. If he believed that Jeffrey Dahmer was in heaven, Immediately, the pastor said, no. And the interviewer said, um, but what if, he, what if he had gotten saved? And this pastor said some of the scariest words that have ever been uttered. There are some people that God just shouldn't forgive. And the reason why that scares me is because I'm one of those people that he shouldn't forgive. But he does anyway. There are no depths that God can't reach into. Though I go to the pits of hell, David said, you are there. So, Lamentation shows us that. The children of Israel, that God was judging, he warned them. He said, if you do these things, this is what's going to happen. He sent prophets to say, hey, you're doing those things. God's judgment's going to come. And then, when Manassas was king and they had crossed the line, He sent prophets to say, okay, God's judgment is coming on Israel, but you personally need to repent. And they ignored all that. And yet here we have, so the destruction that came to Jerusalem should not have shocked anyone. And yet, we see Jeremiah crying out to God for mercy. Lamentations was written to be prayed or sung in worship. We see in Jeremiah 41 that just months after the temple's destruction, that they began meeting to pray for God to restore the temple. Um, Lamentations is still read and sang in Hebrew services. 
Lamentations presents many key theological realities from this era in Israel's history. It includes prayers that confess sin, express renewed hope, and declare total dependence on God's grace. It's the only book of the Bible written by a person who actually lived through the divine judgment of the Bible. It provides many insights into the nature of pain, sin, and redemption. And it verifies the truth that Jerusalem fell. And the reason why that's important is there are some uh, modern uh, theologians that suggest that Jerusalem never actually was completely destroyed and fell. And so, like many others. Um, and they, it fell because of the people's sin and because they rejected God's word sent through the prophet and because their own leaders led them astray. I am a firm believer in the truth that is laid down in the Bible that everything rises and falls on leadership and that the leadership of that nation, uh, when Manasseh became king and he sacrificed his own children to Molech, that God was done. And so I think that our leadership is important, and we should consider that as we vote. Whether you are a Democrat or Republican, the vote that we cast speaks volumes about what we actually believe. I think a few weeks ago I shared with you that I have a, there's a, a policeman who I meet with uh, regularly to help, help him with some PTSD issues. Uh, he's not a believer, doesn't go to church anywhere. Um, and when everything started getting serious with COVID, uh, he loved to mock Christianity by saying, you know what, you people said that you trust God, but just the moment people started getting sick from COVID, you did the same thing everybody else did and you ran to the hills. If you don't think the world is watching how we vote, you're crazy. And I will say, again, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, in 2016, when evangelicals overwhelmingly voted for Trump, we lost the ability to ever speak to moral character again. Ever. It doesn't matter what a president does in office, we can't say a word about it because we voted for a man who had no character. And so, whether we like it or not, we've proven what we actually think is important, and it's pragmatism. And I don't think that's necessarily right or wrong. We have to be pragmatic when we vote. Um, and so, but I think that we just, you just need to be aware of that, that God considers leadership. And I honestly believe, and this may make some people mad, but if the best two people that we can put up to vote for is Donald J. Trump and Biden, this country is in sad, sad shape. If those are the best two men that we have to choose from, then it is a pathetic circumstance. And if you can vote for either man and not need to go home and take a shower, then Lord help you. Which is why I, uh, I had someone um, Sunday, Saturday that was assuming that I was uh, a, you know, yay Trump kind of person and was actually raising the board. They were yelling at me saying, how can you say that Biden's this and the other thing when you voted for Trump? And I said, you're just making assumption. I've never voted for Trump. I voted for Doug Pope for president last time. <laughs> it, this book affirms God's never-ceasing mercy 
God and God alone can with wisdom hold in both hands his judgment and his mercy. Now, we see that in the book of Lamentations, but I hope that I have taught you well enough to where you see that perfectly rendered in the cross. God doesn't just say, all right, you get a pass on any sin. God loathes sin. He knows its destructive power, and sin must be paid for. And we see at the cross God finding that balance between how he can offer mercy and yet be just. We see in the book of Lamentations that expressed in that God is doing what he said he would do. He Justice is falling on the nation of Israel. And yet throughout the book, we see God's mercy being seen. Lamentations agrees with Psalms that prayer is the way to restore a broken relationship with, with God. It shares the Psalms' emphasis on God's sovereignty. Uh, it, as I've read Lamentations over this week to prepare for tonight, the way that it feels like Psalms is really uh, obvious. It, the, the cry, the song, the way that it, 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 it just has so much in common with the Psalms. It also sees the sovereignty of God. And this is what we mean by the sovereignty of God. First of all, the sovereignty of God means God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. He's sovereign king. Why was there a tsunami? Because God wanted there to be a tsunami. Why was there a tornado? Because God wanted there to be a tornado. Why was there a hurricane? Because God wanted there to be a hurricane. Why did we have a beautiful day today? Because God wanted there to be a beautiful day today. He is sovereign. And if you can understand this, if I can help you to see this, this will, will have an impact on you for the rest of your life. I believe with everything in me that God has ordered all of human history, including Tom Harrison's history, in such a way that at the end of the story, not necessarily in the middle, you can't stop a book in the middle and think you've you got a good grasp, but you've got to read it all the way. At the end of the story, and when I say the end of the story, I don't mean when y'all are all standing around a wooden box that I'm in. I mean the end of the story when we're all standing around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. At the end of the story, we'll see that God has orchestrated everything that happened in such a way that it brings him the maximum amount of glory. Everything that happens in human history. I'm not saying that God's the author of sin, nor am I suggesting that God tempts people, but I'm saying that God, through his permissive will, has allowed things to occur in such a way that at the end of the story, all of the, the rulers and authorities in the heavens and all humans who have ever lived will see that God is amazing. And again, we can see just a taste of that at the cross in that God took man's most wicked, evil act. God himself came to earth in the form of a man. And man said, kill him. The most wicked, evil thing that humanity has ever done. God has taken that and woven it into such a picture, beautiful picture of grace and beauty that you can't really go anywhere without seeing somebody with a cross necklace or a cross tattoo. Now, they have no idea what it means. They just hear the echoes of the beauty in that cross. And so if God can do that, just think what he can do with all of human history, from Alexander and Nero and 
all the way through the, the pogroms and the, the inquisitions and the reformations, that all of that is woven in such a way that on that day, the day of the Lord, all of humanity, all of the principalities, all of the authorities, all the demons, all the angels, all the creatures will all say, wow, what an amazing God. And it will shut everyone's mouth that might say, but what about? We'll see. And so as you go through your life and you think, just like Lamentations. Again, once I learned that Lamentations, that the Hebrew book for Lamentations is called Why, I thought that's so much better than Lamentations. That's such a better title. That as you're going through life, there will be times when you are crying out to God, Why? Maybe in a funeral home, maybe in a hospital room, maybe in a bedroom. When those times happen, please remember that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing, and he loves you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And it may not be what you want at that moment. It may not be what you like at that moment. And it's okay what we see in Lamentations, what we see in the Psalms. It's okay to say to God, I don't like this. Why are you doing this to me, God? But at the end of the story, know that God does know what he's doing. And you can trust in him. You can rest in him. You can lean on him. You can run to his book. We see that beautifully displayed in Lamentations. Lamentations warns of the day of the Lord. There's an echo through the prophets that some, a day is coming. Something is coming that will right all wrongs. If I'm an Israelite living in what did we say, Five, um, 586 B.C. And I, I know, I could buy that, that we've been wicked, we've done wicked things, God's punishment there. But how is this just, that those Babylonians are way more wicked than we are? Why is God using them as the instrument of his punishment for us? That doesn't seem just. I mean, they're not calling out on the name of the Lord, and yet we're being asked to. They're not, and yet the Bible specifically says that God raised up that nation for the express purpose of punishment. And yet they're wicked and evil. We see Nebuchadnezzar throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat in fire. What the prophets are saying is, is justice will ultimately, on the day of the Lord, be served. If you remember, as we studied the book of the Revelation, is those seven seals are being popped open, and God's wrath that has been stored up for the whole existence of humanity starts being poured out on the earth. It doesn't take us long in that reading to go, hey, God, let up. On the podcast, which I would commend to you to listen to, Matt and I are going through the book of Revelation again, uh, and that, that drops every Friday. Um, this la- the one that will drop day after tomorrow is uh, dealing with the, seven, the beginnings of the seven trumpets. And in those seven trumpets, you see 
A third of the land mass is being destroyed. A third of the sea being made unusable. A great mountain being dumped into the ocean with the tsunamis and, and comets. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, meteors and blood falling from the sky. A third, all the green grass is burnt up. And you, you read that and you're like, okay, God, stop. Let up. In fact, Jesus said of this time, and when he speak, spoke of it in Matthew, uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Luke 19, Luke 21 to, to 21, when Jesus speaks of it, he actually says, if God didn't hold back his wrath a little bit, that all of humanity would be killed. We don't want God's justice until he's ready to deliver his justice. And so... Um, Lamentations, as do all the prophets, point Israel to Nebuchadnezzar and his, all of his troops. They will see justice. As we, with Habakkuk, and we'll see in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk holds himself up in a tower and says, God, I'm not leaving this tower until you explain to me why wicked men prosper while holy men are hungry. And God comes and answers him. And part of that answer is, is someday justice will be served. We as believers must remember that vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. All right. So the outline of the book is, uh, it's divided up. It's, it's uh, five different songs. So we have How Lonely Sits the City, the first one that goes from chapter 1 uh, that is chapter 1. Chapter 2 is God has set Zion under a cloud. Chapter 3 is I am the man who has seen affliction. Chapter 4 is how the gold has grown dim, that in times of tribulation, everything that we think is important ain't so important. If you were offered here a pound of gold or a glass of water, you would quickly take that gold. If you hadn't had water in two days, there wouldn't be a thought process. You'd go for the water. And in times of tribulation, things that we think are super important, all of a sudden we realize they ain't so important. And then finally, the last chapter is restore us to yourself, O Lord. Father God, I pray that uh, this introduction to Lamentations would teach us that this is a book that is there for us to run to in the hard times. Lord, I pray that we would look to you, that we would lean on you, that we would repent and call on you, and that, God, this would be uh, a book that would become precious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.